Welcome to the podcast, Buffy and the Art of Story, Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. This Monday, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 13, The Zeppo, where Xander has a very strange night, and we see Faith again at last. In particular, I'll cover why Xander is the protagonist of this episode, whether scenes can be from the point of view of a character who is not in them, the effect of a deliberately unfinished subplot, and an atypical mood and tone for many of the scenes. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Zeppo was written by Dan Weber and directed by James Whitmore Jr. The original air date was January 26, 1999. We start as we should with conflict. This is the initial conflict that draws the reader in, and sometimes it relates to our main plot, and sometimes it doesn't. Here it relates to both the main plot and what I'll call a subplot, though I'm not entirely sure if that is the right word. We begin in a very dark cave. There is fog drifting through it in clouds. Willow emerges holding a candle and chanting, Faith, Buffy, and Giles are fighting demons that have claws. There's a lot of screeching. The demons seem very powerful. And Faith finally uses a giant sword to stake the last one. Already, the tone feels somewhat different than our usual Buffy scenes. It's not just, not so much darker, but maybe darker tones overall. That fog drifting through everything gives it an almost gothic feel. And the music feels amped up and over the top. After the fight is over, everyone talks about how hard this was, and Buffy asks Willow if she's okay, and Willow, in a wonderful line, says, yeah, I'm fine. The shaking is a side effect of the fear. Giles hasn't run into these particular demons before. He doesn't know what they are, and he says with some frustration that his sources have dried up since the council fired him. A really nice way to get a quick bit of exposition in there from last episode, in case anyone missed it, that Giles got fired. He also seems to feel remorseful about how ferocious the battle was because he says he never should have allowed Willow and, uh, and Xander scrambles out from under debris. Buffy and Faith worry that he could have been hurt or killed or both. And Buffy says, maybe you shouldn't be leaping into the fray like that. Maybe you should be fray adjacent. Side note, I am pretty sure this is where the name of a future slayer called Frey in the comic books came from. Xander argues, who was it who distracted the lead demon by letting her pummel him about the head? And Faith tells him he was real manly and all, especially with the shrieking. 
Giles chimes in, suggesting Xander hang back to the rear in the future. And Xander makes a Superman Jimmy Olsen joke, which is lost on Giles. And we go to credits. We come back at 3 minutes 58 seconds in. It is a sunny day at school. In the courtyard, Xander's trying to get some guys to throw a football to him. Finally, one of them throws a long pass to Xander, who misses it. And at 4 minutes 28 seconds in, almost exactly 10% through the episode, we get our story spark or inciting incident. That is the incident that gets the main plot rolling in any story, and you'll almost always see it at that 10% mark. Here, the missed football hits Jack, a wiry, tough guy, and it knocks over his soda. Xander apologizes, making bad jokes while he does about the football player's arm, but Jack is not amused, and he quickly escalates and says, I ought to cut your face open. Poor Xander is trying to say it was just an accident. Jack tells Xander that he and his buddies will kick Xander's ass into a brand new shape next time he sees Xander. Xander backs off, clearly shaken. Cordelia, off to one side, has watched all of this, and she says, boy, of all the humiliations you've had that I've witnessed, that was the latest. She goes on to belittle Xander, telling him Jack is a psycho who repeated multiple grades in school, but even he is cooler than Xander. Xander doesn't understand why, with all the demons and vampires he's faced, how a little bully like Jack O'Toole can still scare him. And Cordelia points out, because unlike all those other creatures you've come face to face with, Jack actually noticed you were there. To which Xander responds, why am I surprised by how comforting you are not? Cordelia tells him it must be hard when his friends all have superpowers and he's got nothing. He must feel like Jimmy Olsen. And Xander starts to comment, I was just saying that, and then cuts off not wanting to admit that. Instead, he claims he's an integral part of the group. She scoffs at that, saying he is useless. He's the Zeppo, a reference to the often forgotten Marx brother. As she's walking away, she says to herself, there was no part of that that wasn't fun. So we have immediate sympathy for Xander. Most of us identify with the person who is not the bully in high school, who's afraid of the bully and just hopes to stay out of their way. And Xander now has done one of the worst things that he could do, which is to accidentally cross Jack. I think a lot of us also identify, or at least certainly I do, with that feeling back from high school where no matter what else you're doing in your life if you are not fitting into that particular world it is really difficult most people struggle in high school as Oz will say in a moment with their identity Xander is out there joining in the fight against the forces of evil and yet it doesn't make him any more comfortable with himself or in high school and Xander does have that conversation conversation with Oz in the next scene. He's asking him a lot of questions about what is cool, who decides what it is, who has it, who doesn't. In short, what is the essence of cool? And Xander says, after pointing out that Oz is considered to be cool, says, is it about the talking? 
You know, the way you tend to express yourself in short, noncommittal phrases. And Oz responds, it could be. And the whole conversation goes like this with Oz saying these short, noncommittal phrases. It's funny, and the talking issue comes back more than once. Xander now says he needs a thing, that one thing that no one else has. He thinks that that's what cool is about, and he's trying to figure out what he has. And Oz says, an exciting new obsession, which I feel makes you very special. But more seriously, Oz goes on to tell him he's overthinking. He's got some identity issues. It's not, and we cut to Giles saying, the end of the world. He tells Buffy about the Sisterhood of Jay, which is a demon group there to bring about the apocalypse. Buffy's a bit quippy, and Giles says it's no laughing matter. And Buffy says, hence my no laughing. We have ominous music in the background. Again, a little more over the top than we usually get. Oz comes in, locks himself in a cage because he's about to become the werewolf. And Giles explains that the sisterhood intends to open the hellmouth. And we now get creepy chanting within the music. And there's a cut to nighttime. Oz howls. Then we go to the next day. Willow and Buffy are walking towards school, and Buffy is telling Willow, remember the demon that came out when the Hellmouth opened, and that it will be the first one to come out, and there will be many more after that, and they'll overrun the world. And she tells Willow Giles is trying to figure out when it will happen, and they're all heading into deep research mode. Buffy also says there's something about this one that scares her, that it's different, and she needs her willow. So this is the first of several times we'll be told this, that it is different and scarier than usual, but we don't, until the very end, see anything that allows us as the viewers to draw that conclusion. I think that is purposeful, but for me, it robs this storyline of not just power, it makes me less interested in it, uh, which I do think is the point. But I wanted there to be a little bit more to this. Willow reassures Buffy that she will be there for her. Buffy doesn't have to be afraid. And then there is an abrupt beeping horn which startles both of them. The other thing about this Sisterhood of Jay storyline is throughout it will be very slow moving despite that it happens very fast in time because a lot of the conversations will tell things we've already heard. Here Buffy's elaborating on what Giles said, but we don't learn a whole lot that's really new or that Giles couldn't have just told Buffy very quickly. Xander now has interrupted Buffy and Willow. He is driving an antique 57 Chevy convertible. It's beautiful and shiny. It looks almost like new and he says, it's my thing. Buffy asks if this is a penis metaphor, but he explains it's the thing that makes him cool. When Willow asks how he can afford it, he says it's his Uncle Rory's who has a stack of DUIs, so he can't drive it and he lets Xander rent it. 
Buffy apologizes for not seeming more excited, but tells him they are dealing with the biggest evil, maybe more than she can handle. He says to tell him what he can do. So we are approaching one quarter way through the story, and between here and a third of the way through the episode, we almost always see what I think of as the one quarter twist. It's the first major plot turn, and it comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. Now, we could see that as Xander having this fancy car, it does set off certain things in the story, but it's not really from outside of Xander. I see it more as the first in a few dominoes. So right after Xander asked what he could do, we cut to a scene where Xander is getting donuts. Cordelia sees him and makes fun of him being, uh, feeling like he's important. She tells him what he is, is expendable. She also scoffs at the car, saying, does he think that now that he has a fancy car, it changes anything? And she goes on, like anyone even cares about, And a pretty blonde girl walks up behind them and says, is that your car? And she starts talking about what kind of car it is, rattles off what's under the hood. And Xander agrees, clearly not knowing if what she's saying is correct. But he does offer her a ride. And she says, you busy? And he tells her pointedly, because Cordelia is still listening, that once he drops these things off, he would describe himself as expendable. That is our next domino that is going to lead to the major plot turn. At the bronze, the blonde is telling him about every single guy she's dated with details about the car that he drove. Xander looks very bored, and when he sees Angel, he desperately calls out to him. He wants Angel to hang out with them, please. And it's interesting because now Xander has gotten what he thought he wanted. He got this car. It did attract a very pretty girl, which seems to have been part of his motive. And he even got that to happen in front of Cordelia to kind of prove her wrong. And yet he is very unhappy at this table. Angel, however, is no help for Xander. He is looking for Buffy to tell her how serious it is, this demon cult. Xander tells him Buffy's at the library, and Angel says this is really bad. Best that Xander stays away and out of harm's way. And Xander says, but I can help. So this is the first of what I thought was going to be a three-beat. A three-beat is where the same line or the same concept or incident comes back three different times in three different ways in a story or episode. After Angel leaves, the blonde wants to go for another ride, and Xander looks like he figures that's better than sitting and talking about cars. As they walk out, he is complaining about how his friends ignore how much he's helped, And he says, um, they've now gotten in the car, and he, he starts it up, and he says, they act like I'm some sort of klutz. And, of course, he pulls right into the parked car in front of him. He's very shaken. He asks the girl if she's hurt, and she's not. We're at 13 minutes, 54 seconds in, and he says, it's just a little fender bender. It's not the end of the world. But as he says that, Jack O'Toole steps out of that parked 
car. So this moment definitely comes from outside Xander, the fact that Jack is sitting in that car and it takes the story in a new direction and raises the stakes because in a moment we will see Jack come very close to killing Xander. So I see this as the one quarter twist. We cut to Oz who's growling in his cage. Buffy and Willow sit at the library table. Buffy's reading about the sisterhood of Jay. Giles comes out of his office angry that the council won't take his calls. He's going to try contacting the spirit guides. He has no idea if they'll help, but he has to try. And Giles says, for all we know, the entire world rests on the, did you eat all the jellies? He is looking at that donut box. There were four of them. Uh, Willow volunteers that Buffy ate three. And the conversation turns to Xander. But Buffy says this will be easier if they keep him out of it so she knows he's safe. We cut to Xander, who is anything but safe. Once again, he is trying to apologize. He says he has no insurance, but he can pay for the damage. Jack, though, pulls a very large knife that looks more like a small sword, and he named it Katie, to which Xander says, you gave it a girl's name. How very serial killer of you. Jack puts the point to Xander's neck, asks if he's scared, and doesn't he feel pathetic? Jack also says the difference between the two of them is fear. Who has the least fear? Which Jack claims has nothing to do with who is holding Katie. And to prove it, he gives the knife to Xander and then pins him anyway. Fortunately for Xander, a cop intervenes he is not at all surprised to see Jack O'Toole threatening someone, but Sanders says no, Jack didn't attack him. After the cop leaves, Jack is very pleased that Sander didn't narc on him, and now he wants to take a ride with Xander and the blonde because he was on his way to go get the boys. And Xander says, what about your car? Jack says, it ain't mine. So Xander asks where the boys are, and we cut to a cemetery. Jack is chanting over a grave, saying, he shall arise. It's unclear why Xander stays, and I struggle with this in the episode, especially because once the dead guy arises from the grave, the girl screams and runs off. Bob, the dead guy, is thrilled to be back. He and Jack hug. Xander says, I'll call you after the girl. And Jack introduces Xander, who wants to leave the two of them to catch up. But Jack says, no, Xander's the wheel man. At another grave, there's another chant. Another guy rises. We cut to Restfield Cemetery. Giles is calling on the spirit guides in Latin. They appear in a sort of glowing field of white and gold light and answer in Latin but they aren't going to help. It could create too much chaos on Earth. This is a thread in what's becoming more clear is a subplot because we're not getting much movement. We're not seeing much action. And this thread, too, doesn't go anywhere. So we had Giles go try to consult the spirit guides. Um, mainly, it looks like to have him cross paths with Xander. Earlier, I mentioned something about the protagonist kind of assuming that that was Xander. 
I'm not sure that was clear in the beginning, but by now in the episode, it's clear. So remember, our protagonist should have a goal, which Xander has. His goal is to be cool. And he actively pursues that goal. He asks Oz about it. He thinks it over. He gets a car. He takes this girl for a ride while Buffy and Giles are reacting. Yeah, they want to stop the sisterhood of Jay, but we don't see them doing very much. This is mostly from Xander's point of view. I'm not sure if it's more than half of the scenes so far where Xander is in them and we're following him, but that is more than usual given that the show is Buffy's show. More important, his scenes are layered. There is forward movement. In the demon plot, all that's really happened is Giles and Buffy talked, Willow and Buffy talked and researched, Giles complained twice about the council and then once about donuts, and now he asks guides for help, but they won't help. So we are essentially in the same place that we were when Giles first told Buffy about the sisterhood. Xander, in contrast, has uh, taken a step to try to be cool. He got the car from his uncle. He attracted a girl. He crossed paths with Jack again, escaped being killed, though uh, that was not really through his own doing. Ian has been there for three people being raised from the dead. It is almost blizzard season in Chicago, though of course I hope we will not get blizzards this year. Because of that, though, today's episode is sponsored by The Charming Man, one of my QC Davis mysteries. Trapped by a blizzard, can she save a missing girl from a killer? Quilsey Davis still grieves the death of the man she loved, but agrees to help a dear friend search for a missing neighbor, a college girl whose family fears contacting police. The quest takes Quill to a historic apartment complex in Chicago's Printer's Row. As a blizzard rages outside the complex, one of the residents is found dead. Cut off by authorities by the worst storm in the city's history, Quill knows time is running out. She must find the missing woman before the killer does, and before anyone else ends up dead. The Charming Man is a 2019 Wishing Shelf Book Awards finalist. While it's the second book in my QC Davis mystery series, it stands alone. If you enjoy bold and quick-witted heroines, fast-paced suspense, and life-and-death stakes, then you'll love the QC Davis mystery, The Charming Man. The last question for the protagonist is who has the most at stake? In a general sense, Buffy, Giles, Willow, everyone has the most at stake because it could be the end of the world. But in a personal sense, the only one whose stakes we are really identified with are Xander. He's the only one who has specifically been targeted because of who he is and who is in immediate danger. So far, everyone else is researching something they know is going to happen, but Xander has twice been threatened by Jack and the second time had a knife at his neck. So he has the most at stake. 
Xander sees Giles, asks what's going on. Jack keeps calling out to him to come on with them. They need their wheelman. Xander asks Giles if they need help. So that's our second time Xander asks someone that. Giles thanks him but says it's best if Xander stays out of trouble. And Giles tells him there's something different about this, something in the air, a stench of death. And Xander says, yeah, I think it's Bob. We have humor here. But it's also another time that we're told how different this is. But again, we don't see that in any way our, ourselves as the audience. Giles says he has to go. He hopes there's time to prepare. All they need is a few weeks. And we cut to Buffy saying, tonight? This is 22 minutes in, so we are right at the midpoint of the episode. In a well-structured story, normally here we would see a very strong commitment by the protagonist to the quest or the protagonist suffering a major reversal. And this is part of where the episode falters for me because I think Xander's story is the main plot. And the demon story is at best a subplot, and yet we don't have a major reversal at this midpoint. For Xander, we have it for Buffy. Because when she says tonight, uh, we see that she is sitting with Willie. He is all beat up. He's on the floor. And the conversation makes it clear this is not Buffy beating him up. This was the sisterhood of Jay that came after him. And he is also near death. Buffy has called an ambulance. He tells her that the demons were looking for Angel and coming after Buffy too and nothing could stand in their way because tonight is the night. Willie tells her if the hell mouth opens, those demons will be the least of her problems, and he advises her to go find Angel, go somewhere quiet, and think how she wants to spend her last night on Earth. Though, again, it doesn't have that much power because we're just being told that rather than seeing any action that makes it clear. Back to Xander, he is driving these dead guys around. I really needed a reason why Xander stayed with them. I can imagine some. For one, he's probably afraid that they'll kill him if he tries to get away, or that if he does get away, they'll find him later and kill him. He could perhaps get out of that by giving them the car, but it's his uncle's car, and we know Xander doesn't have much money. It's a beautiful car, so he clearly couldn't afford to pay his uncle if the car were damaged. So there are reasons Xander might stay, but we don't know what they are. Maybe if we had just seen him try to get away and they threatened him, that would have been helpful. And this is also why this doesn't feel like Xander is making a commitment to any quest here, because really he is being dragged along. It could be a reversal for him that Giles is too busy to learn what's going on with Xander, but that doesn't feel major because it is just a reiteration of his conversation with Angel. The dead guys reminisce about past trouble they got into. They talk about going back and settling some scores and what they should do with their night. And finally, they decide to bake a cake and direct Xander to take them to the hardware store. They break the front window and go in. They tell Xander to wait and keep the car running. It's 24 minutes, 30 seconds in. Xander says to himself, okay, now I'm involved in crime. I'm the criminal element. 
having a car sure is cool. So he's rethinking his idea of what cool is. But again, why doesn't he just drive away? He sees Willow come out of the magic shop across the street. She tells him she's getting supplies. It's happening tonight. He again offers to help. So this is the third time. She can't stay, but unlike the other two, um, she runs back and hugs him and tells him she loves him, which is an action that tells us how serious all of this is. Being part of a crime could be a reversal for Xander. And now he does make a commitment, finally, because he is ready to take off. At 25 minutes, 23 seconds in, he says, after Willow walks away, okay, that's it, I'm gonna... And he's turning toward the car, so we can tell he is going to leave. But Jack and the guys have come out, and Jack stops him very angry and tells the other guys that Xander is thinking of leaving. They all decide it's because Xander doesn't feel like part of the gang. He hasn't been initiated, which it turns out means he has to die and be raised. So pretty serious reversal for Xander here. So we do get that, but we are a ways past the midpoint and I think that is part of what robs a bit of the Xander story of its momentum. Xander uh, tries to reason with them and argues that Jack is not dead but Jack pulls up his shirt showing bullet holes all over his abdomen. It was a drive-by and his grandpappy raised him from the dead. Now Xander runs, he dodges, he leads them around and finally leaps back into the car and drives away. The guys are mad because Xander took off with their stuff, but they head back inside the hardware store. Xander, down the road, sees Faith. She is fighting one of those demons, and it is not going great. At 28 minutes in, Xander manages to run over the demon. Faith leaps into the car, and they drive away. At Faith's hotel, they run inside. The demon dislocated Faith's shoulder, and she tells Xander to hold her. Bracing against him, she pops her shoulder into place. Then she starts talking about how wound up she is, all of that tension and no kill, and she puts her hand on Xander's chest. The writers are making use of what we've built up before when Faith has talked about slaying, making you hungry and horny, and the need to have a kill. But 29 minutes in, she asks Xander if he's up for it, and he says he's suddenly very up. But he is nervous and says, it's just, uh, I've never been up with people before. Faith kisses him, tells him to relax and take his pants off. And he says, those two concepts are antithetical. She tosses him on the bed, gets on top of him and tells him not to worry. I'll steer you around the curbs. Xander says, did I mention that I'm having a very strange night? In the next scene, he's holding Faith. They're lying in bed facing each other, but there's a quick cut, and Xander, bare-chested, is standing outside her motel room door holding the rest of his clothes, and she tells him it was great. She has to shower and slams the door. At 30 minutes, 39 seconds in, Giles is near the library cage door. Willow's holding the trank gun, but Oz bursts out before they're ready. Oz as the werewolf. Willow struggles, and both of them are almost attacked, but she shoots Oz and knocks him out. And we learn they need to move him because this is where the hellmouth will open and where they need to do a ritual. 
It isn't clear why they didn't tranquilize Oz while he was still in the cage. I guess that it all just got away from them. This adds to the sort of melodramatic tone of these types of scenes because the music's very intense. It's this really intense moment that doesn't have much to do with the demon plot. This is where I'm starting to feel like all of these scenes are from Xander's point of view in a sense, despite that he's not there. But we are seeing snippets of the action. We are seeing what people say. We're seeing sort of side things that are perilous, but don't really go to that main plot the way you might if Xander were just kind of hearing about it or popping in here and there, but not there for the main action. We're now nearing the three-quarter point of the episode, and usually here we see another major plot turn that grows out of the protagonist's actions at the midpoint. So at 31 minutes, 20 seconds in, Xander in the car looks through the bag of stuff from the hardware store and says, hey, they're not baking any cake. He drives back to the store, but the guys are gone. He talks through where they might go, but has a little trouble staying on track because in the middle he says, I can't believe I had sex. He finally decides that Buffy will know what to do and drives off and we cut to Buffy saying, I don't know what to do. Angel says, then let him decide. He can do this. It's the only way. But she says she can't watch him die again. He tells her he loves her. There is more soaring music there in front of the burning fire in dim lighting. And he tells her nothing can change that, not even death. She says he may be ready to go, but she's not ready to lose him. This doesn't strike a real emotional chord with me because we've heard all this before. And really recently, this is essentially the conversation they had in amends, though with a twist because now Angel is wanting to sacrifice himself for the greater good, not out of self-pity or because, you know, he thinks that he presents a danger, but to save the world in a very active way. But it's still, it, it's sort of that, hey, we've been here before. And even the nothing can change that, not even death, we saw that in Buffy's dream in the beginning of season one, and we saw her go through all of this turmoil already. Now, Xander does walk in and interrupt this. So this is where I feel like it becomes more explicit that all of this is sort of from Xander's point of view. Because you can imagine this is how he sees the Buffy-Angel relationship from outside. Everyone's telling him to keep out of things, stay out of the fray. And so he gets this kind of outside side view, which is very exaggerated. Like everything is big drama with Buffy and Angel. And it's everything's the end of the world. And Xander is not quite part of it. And therefore, I think to him, it would seem like, well, this is how Buffy and Angel, everything about them is. So at 33 minutes, 28 seconds in, Xander says, I've got this, um, there's this, uh, this is probably a bad time. And Buffy nods and he says, can I help? And Buffy shakes her head and he leaves. So the can I help thing is not a 3B because this is a fourth instance where he asks this. I feel like that adds to the feeling of everything being a little off and I have to think it's purposeful. There is something in stories about revisiting something three times, each time a little different and usually 
the third time turns the others on its head and subverts it. And so here we are getting a breaking of that pattern. And even if as a viewer, you don't necessarily recognize a three beat, we're all sort of unconsciously trained to appreciate it. And here it feels odd and a little bit off. And I, I think that's deliberate to give us that feeling that everything is a little bit off. Xander now goes away and I do see this moment where he walks away as that three-quarter turn because it comes from him trying to make or making that commitment at the midpoint to leave the dead guys. It was past the midpoint but I think that was his commitment to leave and then the major reversal when he finds out oh they're all dead including Jack and they definitely do want to kill him to make him part of the gang. So now he has followed through. He's gone to Buffy, but that didn't work. So he has to go another new direction. And this time he is more determined to figure it out. And he tells himself he just has to figure out what they're likely to bomb. So there is some growth for Xander here. And a feeling that now that he's on his own, he will start dealing with things rather than going to other people for help. And maybe that is the reason that we see him just driving these guys around because Xander is still being passive at that point in the episode and only gradually starts to become more active and make more choices and realize that he has to deal with the situation himself. We switch to Giles, who is chanting in Latin. There are candles lit all over the library. It is dark. Willow says that Oz is locked away. She doesn't say where. And then we switch to the dead guys who are putting together a bomb in a basement, and the timer is set for an hour. Back to Xander, who's driving, and now the story undercuts his turn toward realizing he has to figure it out himself because he says Giles will know what to do and drives toward the school. This too feels a little odd in this part of the story, but again, I think probably purposeful to show that this is not an easy transition for Xander. He still wants to go and get help, which is a super logical thing to do. But as he's driving toward the school, he sees the four guys. And Jack uh, doesn't seem angry. He seems happy to see him and says, hey, our wheels. Xander, though, does make a definite choice here and take action. He drives toward all of them. They try to scatter out of the way, but he grabs one of the guys and he hangs on to him as he's driving. Because remember, he's in a convertible. So he's holding the guy kind of by his neck and dragging him along and questioning him. Him. where's the bomb and the guy says in the high school and then he finally says in the boiler room Xander is now in this uh, Clint Eastwood like monologue where he says he's about to ask one more question and the guy had better get it right sounding very threatening probably trying to be cool and he's about to ask how to defuse the bomb but the guy's head hits a signpost and just comes right off uh, and Xander says I probably should have left out that whole middle part so this is a kind of callback both to Xander's rambling in the initial encounter with Jack and his conversation with Oz his observation that Perhaps Oz is cool because of the way that he speaks or doesn't speak, doesn't use a lot of words. 
Xander drives toward the school. The remaining guys chase after him, but they're on foot, so they fall behind. The action goes very fast from here on. In the library, the Hellmouth has opened, and these giant sort of sneaky demons are rearing their heads all over the place. Uh, They are definitely much bigger than what we saw at the end of season one, and Giles says it's grown. There's flashing lights, uh, lots of noise. Faith and Buffy keep racing in and getting thrown out again. Back with Xander, he is in the school, and the dead guy uh, finds an axe. Uh, He breaks glass to get it. There always seems to be these uh, cases with axes, I guess, for firefighting in Sunnydale High. Um, My high school did not have axes lying around, but it's Sunnydale. So the guy is chasing him with an axe. He knocks Xander onto a table and swings the axe down, but Xander rolls and scrambles away, and he manages to punch the guy and knock him to the floor, then grab the axe and use it as a lever to tip the vending machine down on the guy. So yay, Xander. He then is going through the school, heading for the boiler room, and runs into another dead guy. Xander, holding the axe, starts monologuing again, and the guy runs. And Xander says, no to self, less talk. If you are enjoying the podcast, please help it reach more listeners by telling a friend who loves Buffy about the show, by posting on social media, or sharing my tweets or posts, or by leaving a review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also help by becoming a patron, which you can do through the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Lily. That's double L-I, double L-Y. The Sisterhood of Jay demons are in the school as well. It's not quite clear to me what their role is other than fighting and killing, but it's it's not clear what benefit they get from the Hellmouth opening. But they do start chasing that dead guy. Xander wisely uh, gets out of the way and they rip the guy to shreds in a classroom. Xander is shaken watching that, but he runs to the boiler room. Now only Jack is left of those four dead guys. We're at the climax where our opposing forces engage in their final clash and we resolve the main plot. At 38 seconds, 21 minutes in, Xander finds the bomb and there's less than two minutes left. And Xander says to himself as he looks at all these wires sticking out, dumb guy, little bomb, How hard can it be? Jack attacks him from behind and says, it just got harder. Xander tells him, I'm not leaving until that thing's disarmed. And Jack says, I guess you're not leaving. They fight. Jack eventually gets the knife in Xander's face, saying Xander pissed him off. And he goes into his own monologue about what he's going to do. He's going to carve Xander's face, his eyes. And Xander says, You're going to do all that in 49 seconds? They fight a bit more. Xander manages to get himself between Jack and the exit. Now he delivers another Clint Eastwood-like line where he says, I know what you're thinking. Can Jack get around Xander in time and get out of the building before it all blows up? And Xander says he doesn't like Jack's chances. 
And this was fun because I am editing the book edition of season two of Buffy and the Art of Story, which I think is going to be in, in two parts because with 22 episodes, it's it's so long. But I just did Inca Mummy Girl where Xander dressed like Clint Eastwood in one of those old spaghetti westerns he was in. And now we get Xander using Dirty Harry's words, which was Clint Eastwood's iconic character when he said that to the villain. I think he said, I know what you're thinking. Um, and it was about, you know, did he fire six shots or only five? Essentially, is there a bullet left in the gun? So Xander is now calling on that. And I think that too is not accidental because we can see Clint Eastwood being sort of Xander's picture of what is cool. Jack, though, says when Xander says, I don't like your chances, Jack says, then you'll die too. And Xander responds, yeah, looks like. So I guess the question really is, who has less fear? Echoing Jack's words. Jack claims he's not afraid to die. He's already dead, remember? But Xander points out that being blowed up isn't drinking beer going around with your buddies dead. It's little bits being swept up by a janitor. And he ends with, and I don't think you're ready for that. Jack tries to get around Xander. Xander blocks him. And Jack asks, are you? And Xander responds, I like the quiet. Upstairs, there's more flashing lights, there's screeching, uh, angels fighting, it's very loud. And we cut back to Xander and Jack, and the only sound is the beeping of that timer. Jack looks at the exit, looks at the bomb. Xander waits. He has this very faint grin, more like just a twitch of his lips, but he seems relaxed and ready while Jack keeps glancing at the bomb, at Xander, at the exit. And at two seconds in, Jack pulls the wire to defuse the bomb. Now Xander lets out a breath, looks a little freaked out, but says, good boy, walks around Jack, but pauses to say into his ear, I don't think I want to be seeing you on campus anymore, Jack. And he leaves. So I love, love, love this. Xander has brought those skills he has from demon fighting, from outside the world of high school, into the school, literally. But more important, he has recognized his strength, that facing danger without superpowers, while feeling afraid, while being weaker than everyone around him, is strength is courage, and also that it is a superpower. He faces death all the time, and he accepts that it could happen. And he is ready to put his life on the line to save other people, sometimes to save the world. Someone like Jack is never going to do that, and that wins the day here. Xander can face death. And a little bully like Jack O'Toole can't. We're now at our falling action. This is where we tie up loose ends. At 41 minutes, 37 seconds in, Xander has left. And Jack says to himself that he's not going anywhere. And looking after Xander says, the first time you turn your back. And Jack opens a door. It's a, it's a different one than the one Xander went out. And Oz, the werewolf, leaps out and attacks Jack. At the picnic table the next day, our friends, minus Xander, are talking about the night before. Willow's saying she can still hear the Hellmouth scream. 
and she'll never forget seeing its real face. They talk about Angel. Buffy says he was out for seconds, the longest of her life. And again, this this feels kind of melodramatic. Uh, it obviously was a huge deal last night, but we didn't get to see it. Also, Angel and Buffy have been through so much that it it almost doesn't feel realistic that Buffy is saying that those two seconds were the longest of her life. So essentially, we are hearing about the climax of the demon storyline secondhand. And that's why I'm not quite sure I can call it a subplot. And it's also why it still feels like Xander's point of view. He doesn't know exactly what happened. He didn't see it. So the audience doesn't. And this reminds me of writing in the first person. When you have a first person narrator throughout, your audience, your readers can only know what that narrator knows, as opposed to multiple points of view. And I've dealt with both. In my Awakening series, I shifted from point of view to point of view, and that could be really exciting. And you can always tell every scene from the point of view of the character with the most at stake, which, can, which makes it very vivid and, and very real. And in first person, my QC novels are in first person, so the reader can only hear about things that she learns. And sometimes I use devices, maybe letters or blog posts or videos she watches where someone else is talking. But a lot of it is her telling someone else about something or them telling her. And I enjoy that point of view, but there are times there are limits and it takes some extra work to make scenes dramatic that the character is not present for. And here we are seeing that same sort of thing only exaggerated because I feel like the writers purposely are not telling us exactly what happened. We never do find out what went on. And Buffy compliments Giles, tells him it was the bravest thing she ever saw anyone do. And he says it was the stupidest, but the world continues to turn. And Willow observes exactly what the writers are doing because she says no one will ever know what they did. Xander walks up and and Willow says, Xander, boy, you're lucky you weren't at school last night. It was crazed. And Xander says, well, give me the quiet life. And he asks if anyone wants a snack. They all say no. Oz comments that he's oddly full today. Obviously not knowing he ate Jack O'Toole. That's something else no one else will know. And Xander walks off and he looks relaxed and confident. And now Cordelia is there in his path. So she is a three beat because she made fun of Xander in the beginning. She saw him almost toward the middle in the donut shop. And now she's here at the end. And this does subvert the previous instances because before his taunts were still getting to him. Now she says, oh look, it's Mr. Excitement and asks if he's on another life or death mission, getting donuts, or is he cruising for bimbos, giving lessons on lack of cool. And even though Xander is going off to get snacks, for one, it's not for anyone else, but more important, this doesn't bother him anymore. And he says nothing. He doesn't ramble on. He doesn't argue. He just smiles. And Cordelia says, what? 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 As he walks away. So this is great Xander character growth. And I thought I have those books about Buffy analyzing it 
And I did not find much about the Zeppo in there, which kind of surprised me because there are essays about Xander, but not much said about the Zeppo. I did find something interesting online, an Entertainment Weekly article about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. before it came out. And Joss Whedon in it compares the concept of the Zeppo to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there's no spoilers here if you haven't watched that show and are planning on it. Whedon said, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, he said that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically a TV series of the Zeppo, which was a very deliberate deconstruction of a Buffy episode in order to star the person who mattered the least. And he also said, the people who are ignored are the people I've been writing as my heroes from day one. There's a world of superheroes and superstars. They're celebrities, and that's a complicated world, particularly complicated for people who don't have the superpowers, the disenfranchised. So this confirms the idea that when he says deconstructing, that a lot of those things probably that bothered me a bit about that demon plot, the melodrama, the fact that we don't see any of it happening, we're just told it, were very purposeful. So that is it for this episode, other than foreshadowing and spoilers, and I do have a little bit there. So I hope you'll stick around. If not, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will tune in next Monday for Bad Girls, where Buffy steps into Faith's world for a while. And we are back for spoilers. It's tempting to see the Zeppo as a one-off episode that doesn't affect the series very much. And there's some evidence for that, including that when we come back in Bad Girls, the library looks just fine. There's no reference to retiling the floor or repairs after that giant hellmouth demon with all its different heads burst through. And we don't get a sense that there is a big time lag there because uh, the hellmouth burst through at the end of season one but that's the end of the school year and we don't come back till the next fall so you can kind of headcanon that they fixed the library though who knows how Giles explained it maybe an earthquake but here we come back to bad girls and there's no mention of that incident but we do have references to the Zeppo Xander plot and it does affect later developments in a fun way we get a reference at the opening of bad girls because faith and buffy are fighting these two vampires and in the midst of it faith is asking buffy if she ever had sex with xander and buffy doesn't know that faith has but it is a fun conversation then in consequences the episode after bad girls there is a heartbreaking scene xander wants to be the one our friends are talking about how faith is in denial over having killed a man a human and xander says maybe he should be the one to talk to her about it because they have a sort of connection and gradually the group figures out though he doesn't say it that they slept together and Buffy tells him that she doesn't think that that will help him get through to Faith because Faith thinks guys she has a connection with are kind of a joke. And this doesn't make Xander feel great. And it also makes Willow feel awful, as we'll see, that Xander's first time was with Faith. 
Xander still tries to talk to Faith, though, and I really like that because I feel like pre-Zeppo Xander would have taken that so hard when Buffy said that and would have just assumed that he couldn't help. And instead, he goes and he seems very genuine about his concern for Faith, but she makes fun of him, rejects the whole idea, stays in denial, and it turns very dark because she assaults him. This influences Willow's view of Faith, everyone's view, but Willow's particularly, and how angry Willow is at Faith, which we'll continue to see not just in season three, but in season four and beyond. The demon part of the Zeppo foreshadows a season four episode where there's an earthquake and Buffy's convinced it means an apocalypse. Giles, for once, doesn't think so. And it turns out Buffy is right. And in that episode, too, there are demons trying to open the Hellmouth. And they go back to the library, which at that point is in the high school, which is all burnt out because of it blowing up at the end of season three. And these demons are trying to dive down into the Hellmouth. And Buffy goes after them. And I am pretty sure it's the first time that Riley helps Buffy with one of her missions. And the whole plot is very reminiscent of this season three episode. And we do get the feeling that this is why Buffy is so freaked out and she connects the dots before Giles does. More generally, Xander's increased confidence at the end of this episode does continue. We see Xander fighting physically more and more. We also see him being a bit more confident, talking to girls and with his role in the group. He doesn't have as much doubt after this about whether he's important, though some of it will be revisited in season four when his friends go to college and he does not. But it seems to be more arising out of that rather than the feeling that he isn't important in terms of fighting evil. A more immediate development is I think that this, in a weird way, sets him and Cordelia on a path to becoming civil to each other again, uh, friendly in a way. Cordelia doesn't stop insulting Xander, but it stops feeling so visceral and so mean. And I think that that comes from once Xander is not wounded by it anymore in the same way, that in a sense frees Cordelia. The taunting isn't working anymore, so she becomes less invested in it. So uh, we'll see what I think as we go on with these episodes, but I do feel like in an odd way, Xander gaining more confidence kind of frees Cordelia from uh, being stuck in feeling bitter about Xander. And that in turn opens the way for her to spend more time with the group and to meet Wesley and become enamored of him. So that is it for spoilers and the episode. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will come back next Monday. I am so excited to be talking about Bad Girls. It kicks one of the most fascinating story arcs in all of Buffy into high gear as Faith and Buffy both bond and explore their differences and a new watcher comes to Sunnydale. 
You can find back episodes at my author website, where you'll also find my fiction at lisalilly.com. If you would like to comment on the show, you can email me lisa at lisalilly.com or tweet me at Lisa Amazon Marie Lily hashtag Buffy story. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.